here today. If you would like to borrow a Bible, follow along with us in our passage this morning, just raise your hand and our ushers will bring you a Bible. Just raise your hand high and ushers will bring you a Bible. You can follow along with us. And when you're done, you can just leave it in the pew after you when you're done. I know it was announced, but just the, the membership class we're about to have is for people who want to learn more about our church. It's for those of you who just kind of say, what's this church all about? Maybe you want to consider joining this church. And I really want to stress to the students in here that this is also for you. Uh, I know you're just at school, maybe a year, two, three, or four. We want you to join a local church. And if you go to here, we would encourage you to join this church. We have alumni that are back for this weekend who, when they were here, they were a member of this church. And so we just want to really encourage you to come. We'll feed you. Just come on down to the membership class. It'll be right after the service. Well, we've been going to the book of Matthew, and now we're in Matthew 20. Let's turn to Matthew 20 and stand as I'm going to read. Matthew 20. We're starting at verse 1, going through verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the heat, the burden of the day, and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. You may be seated. There seems like there should be some type of protest over the controversial and scandalous labor practices of this vineyard owner. You, you see, like in the world this past, this past year, there's been a variety of protests going on all over the place that have gone against injustices. They have toppled governments and perhaps even had a, a dictator killed. There's protests going on even right now in, in the uh, Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street, and, who are protesting against a variety of things. So I'm sure that this, this labor uh, owner of these, this vineyard 
and his scandalous practices, his controversial moves, for sure would receive some type of protest in our day. But when you protest, you've got to have a slogan. You've got to have something that you can put on a sign that you can scream that will make sense and even be kind of rhymy. I don't necessarily have a slogan for you, but I can throw some out that perhaps they may be thinking to protest this owner. And the first one I came up with is maybe they could protest him for unjust practices. Unjust practices. And you say, you, Mr. Slave, uh, of owner of this vineyard, you have been unjust in your practices. But you know what? If you look at the story in detail, no contracts were violated. And so that one won't work. Another protest that I think you could pop on a sign would be thief and crook. But it, what, what did he steal? Did he steal something from anybody? I don't, I don't think so. Did he break any laws? No. And so as I was thinking about this this week, what could be a good protest slogan that would actually stick, make sense, and work? I think this is the perfect one. Let me, let me put it up for you. Unreasonable generosity. How about that one? That's perfect, right? We're going to protest against you. Because of your unreasonable generosity. Does that not sound ridiculous? Like, why in the world would you protest against someone else for being unreasonably generous? That just doesn't make sense. And yet, that's why the parable is told. Because Jesus is going after the hearts of his disciples. And he's going after our hearts. Because believe it or not, there are times where we protest against God for his unreasonable generosity. When we get bitter and and resentful and we see the way that God is blessing people when we think they do not deserve it and we protest against his unreasonable generosity. Let me try to explain this a little bit. This parable is giving for a reason. It's It's given to his disciples because it's kind of like preventative medicine. It's trying to prevent something. And it all falls within the context of what was happening before. You see, what was happening before is Jesus called this rich man to follow him, to give up everything and to follow Jesus. And the rich man says, not going to do it. And then Peter comes along and says, aha, but we've done it. And I want you to backtrack a, a little bit, a little flashback to chapter 19. And look what Peter says in verse 27. A little flashback here. This is very important. Peter says in Matthew 19, 27, Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And and look at part of Jesus' response in verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So those who abandon the idols of this world to follow Jesus, give up the stuff, To gain eternal life, they will indeed be rewarded. But Jesus discerns Peter's heart. And he says, but hold on just a second. Why are you asking this question, Peter? Is it because you want the stuff? Or is it because you really want me? And so he moves into this parable. Because he doesn't want his disciples to have a relationship with with God, where their motivation to serve him is to get the stuff. You see, what we can have in our hearts and what's going on inside us, when I speak about the hearts, I mean what, who we are. What can be happening inside of us and we can start to operate God on a quid pro quo heart? 
It's okay if you don't know what that means. It's, it's, it's like kind of a, a this for that heart. I'll do you a favor, God. You do me a favor. I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. And we develop this merit theology. This merit theology relationship with God where I merit good things because I do things that are good for you. Therefore, you pay me back. And that's exactly the way the world functions. You work hard. You get paid. You're a slacker. You don't get as much. And God enters the equation. He blows it all up. And look what he said at the very end of chapter 19. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. It's a warning. He's saying, okay, disciples, you will be rewarded in the kingdom, but be very careful that you do not turn your relationship with God into a repayment system. Where you do the good deeds, he pays you back. Do not turn your relationship with God into this repayment system. That's not the way God works. For the last to be first and the first to be the last, God switches everything around. And he explains to us how God works. So it's a preventative parable. Don't let your heart go there. And it's a preventative parable for us. Don't let our hearts go there. Don't turn your relationship with God into this this for that relationship. So now we know the context. Let's look at the specifics. Very interesting story. Start with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So Jesus is telling you, this is the way the kingdom of heaven functions. This is the way it works. It's not just about logistics. It's also about the master who is God. This is the way God is. This is how God works. When it comes to the final judgment or the language of the parable, when it comes to payday, and God hands out salvation blessings, this is the way it's going to work. So you have this master. He goes out to hire day laborers to work in his vineyard. Back then, people would generally work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And he would hire these day laborers to come work in his vineyard. And it was so crucial for them to get hired because back then, you worked for your food that day. Many work day today. We talk about living paycheck to paycheck or month to month. Well, they're pretty much day to day. You, you don't work, you likely do not eat. So it is crucial that you get a job. So he goes out there into this reality and he hires people for the day. And watch the agreement. Verse 2, the agreement. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So they create this contract of sorts, a denarius, which is a full day's wage. I'll pay you a full day's wage. Go work. Verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So he comes in at 6 a.m., hires people for the full day, comes back at 9 a.m. and says, okay, I'll pay you. We'll just kind of, I'll pay you what is right. And they're thinking, okay, kind of prorate the day. You're going to pay us a partial day. We kind of get that. And so he, he hires them. Verse 5, he, he goes out again, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. So he, he goes out not only 6 a.m., but at 9 a.m., then he goes back at 12, and then he goes out back at 3. And you're thinking to yourself, dude, did you not plan your day very well? 
So some may say he, he hired these laborers early and maybe he, he underestimated the work or these laborers are slackers and he has to keep going back for more. And, and some have explained that's why he keeps going back. But I, I like another explanation. I don't think he keeps going back because out of necessity that he needs more workers. I think this master understands that if those guys don't get hired, they don't eat and their families don't eat. So this guy is a terrible businessman. You do not learn this in business school. He's terrible. Because why would you hire guys you don't need? Well, he's not doing it out of need. He's doing it out of compassion. And that sounds a lot like God. Well, keep going. Here we go. Let's, let's see about, surely he's not going to hire anybody else. No way. Verse 6. And about the 11th hour, oh boy. Five o'clock, one hour to work. He went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So he comes back at five, see these guys been standing around all day. I do not know why they weren't hired. Maybe he looked at them and just thought there's no, you know, people just kept coming back and saying, these guys look like the ultimate slackers. There's no way we're going to hire them. But he comes back at five. And if you ever are looking for a job, you will wait around a long time for a job. You really want a job and you need to eat. So these guys have been waiting all day. So he hires them at five. They'll even just work for one hour. They want something better than nothing. So he hires them on the spot. Okay. He hired him. And now, pay time. Six o'clock has come. It's time to pay up. Let's see how he pays his workers. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So the last were paid first. And you've got to kind of wonder, why did he do it this way? I mean, he could have just went up to those first guys and said, this is what we agreed on. Here's the denarius. Here's a full day's pay. Go on home. And they would have never known about what he was about to do. But this master pays the last first. Why did he do that? Because I think he wants everybody to know how generous he is. I think he wants them all to know how generous he is. I think it's the same way with God. God loves to display his generosity to all of his children. That's why I think the last are paid first. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. That is a good deal if you're a worker. You work one hour and you get paid for the whole day. I like that system. Don't you? Isn't that great? Wow, totally blown away. You mean you're going to pay me for a whole day for one hour of work? You are an awesome master. This is wonderful. Can, can I work for you every day <laughs> for just one hour? You just keep paying me like that? You're great. They're just cashing in. And so, so the next group thinks, man, well, I, he's going to pay me so much. If that's what they get for one hour, and so I worked like all these other hours, I'm going I'm to really be loaded so go ahead and pay me a lot. So, so they're anticipating a big payday. Well, look, look at verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Same pay as the guys who worked one hour. 
and they're not too thrilled about it. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They like, we cranked out the hours in this heat all day and these wimps come along at five o'clock while the sun's going down and work one hour and you're paying them the same as us. What are you doing? I just really, I thought of two ways to explain it. It's like, like I have my kids. I have, I have five kids, and they, you know, you've got five different portions of time being hired. And I just thought, what if I did this with my kids? I hired one at six, one at nine, uh, one at 12, one at three, and one at five in the evening to work around the house all day. And then when it, it all came down at the end, I paid them all the same. My kids would not be thrilled, uh, at least the ones that were hired earlier in the day. The ones later in the day would be, 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 be rejoicing. And I was thinking about uh, also the Chicago Marathon. Okay, the Chicago Marathon was run about two weeks ago. Maybe some of you, you, you ran in it. But, but what if when it was all said and done, the person who finished last, I mean, they're closing everything down, and this person finally crosses the line, is paid the, the prize money of the first place. The first place gets it, but so does the last place get it. And, and what if they were like, celebrating the last place person, putting them up on the, the podium, uh, covering them on WGN, interviewing them. How was it running that race? Good job, you finished. How was it winning all that prize money? That person who finished first, they're going to be mad. They're going to be so upset. They're like, I finished like 10 hours ahead of that other person. <laughs> and how dare they get the same prize money? And that's the way these workers are feeling. They want greater pay for greater amount of work, just like it should function in this world. But spiritually speaking, they have a merit heart. I want to show you some images so you can get this. They have a merit heart where, where this concept of merit is just reigning and ruling of their heart. They have this, this quid pro quo heart, this, this for that heart, favor for favor, scratch my back, scratch yours. And, and some of you, I'm, I'm just curious, do any of you have this concept of merit ruling your life? This is ruling your heart. This is, this is what reigns over you. And, and the question is, well, how can you tell? How can you tell if you have a merit heart? How can you tell if you have a this for that heart? What would be the, the results or the fruit in your life? Well, let me show you the second image. Well, the fruit of a merit heart is one that protests God's generosity and resents others who are blessed. If you are a person in here who complains a lot, you likely have a merit heart. If you're one of those guys or girls who's always complaining about what someone else got, you're, you just, that, that's what's going on in your heart. If you're grumbling, if you're, if you're griping, if you're comparing yourselves to others, you likely have a heart that, is, that, is, that functions this way, that you want to get what you think you have earned, and you find yourself going in this direction. Once again, Jesus is telling this parable to warn his disciples against this favor-for-favor favor heart, a developing a relationship with God where you expect heavy payback. And I would tell you, Peter is on the edge. Let's go back to his question once again in chapter 19, uh, 19 verse 27. Look at Peter's question again. Then Peter said in reply, 
See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So Peter, so Jesus sees, he says, okay, you're going to have this reward, but he discerns Peter's heart. And because he discerns his heart, he sees that Peter is close to crossing the line. So he's like, Peter, let's get right at your motivation for why you're going to serve me. Why are you serving me, Peter? Why are you serving Jesus? Is it to get the rewards or is it to get Christ? Not just the rewards that are there in the kingdom. We can talk about rewards in the kingdom another time. But is it to, to get the rewards in the kingdom? Is it to talk about to, you want to get rewards here in this life? Why are you serving Jesus? I went to uh, Dallas Seminary, and I had a professor there named Harold Honer, who's now with Jesus. It's amazing. He was teaching us about Jesus. Now he's with Jesus. And this is what he said concerning rewards. He says, a believer's motivation in this life should not be the obtaining of rewards as an end in itself. Our motivation should be to please God wholeheartedly in thankfulness for what he has done for us in Christ. And so once again, I want to go back to why are you serving Jesus? Let me throw this question out to you. Do you labor in the kingdom to get the benefits or do you work because you simply want to please the Lord? And I would say, if you're laboring in the kingdom to get the benefits, you are simply just focusing on yourself rather than focusing on the Lord. Some of you may have read a book by Timothy Keller called Prodigal God. And in this book, he tells a very, very famous story that you you've may have, have heard before. And I want to tell you this story. I don't usually tell stories like this unless someone else tells them, then I'll tell them. But it's kind of a, kind of a fun little story. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was this gardener. And he grew like this ginormous carrot. It was a huge carrot. I don't know how big it was. Maybe it was like this big. So he took this carrot to the king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I'm going to give it to you because you know what? I appreciate you, uh, I love you, I respect you, so here is this carrot for you, king. And the king was like, wow, that's a pretty impressive carrot. And I really am grateful that you gave me this this carrot. And, And the king discerned the man's heart. So the man started going away, but as he was going away, the king's like, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. I really appreciate you doing that. I see that you gave it to me because you love me. I have a plot of land next to yours, how about I, I'll give it to you? And you can grow all the carrots and anything else you want to grow because you, you seem like to be a, just a, a very genuine guy who, who loves. I'm going to give you this land. And so the man was thrilled. He went away rejoicing. He was delighted and amazed that the king had blessed him with this other land. So there was this nobleman who saw what was going on here, this little transaction with the carrot. And, and he said to himself, Man, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if I gave the king something better than a carrot? Maybe he would give me something great. So one day, this nobleman comes back to, to the king, and he, he's leading this, this huge, handsome, black stallion. And he, and he comes up to the king, and he, and he bowed low, and he said, My lord, I breed horses And this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or or ever will. 
Therefore, I just present this horse to you as, as my love for you and my appreciation for you. Well, the king discerned the man's heart. And he said, thank you for the horse. And he dismissed him. And that nobleman's like, what? The guy gave you a carrot, you gave him land, I gave you a horse, and you dismissed me. The man's like, he's perplexed. He doesn't know what's going on. And the king said, let me explain. That man was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Let me put this up for you so you get this. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Are you starting to get it why you have to guard your heart? Because outwardly, things can look the same. Two people can be looking like they're both serving Jesus. But what's going on in the motives of our heart? Are we laboring before the Lord because we want to please him and we love him? Are we laboring for the Lord because we're finally hoping he will pay up? God doesn't work like that. Let's look at his true character. Verse 13. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I like how he's called friend. This is kind of like a, an in-house argument. This is a, an issue between the people of God. Even those who know Jesus can sometimes fall into a merit theology and question God's fairness. But the master has been fair. No wrong or injustice has been committed because they both agreed to a day's wage. Verse 14. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. So the first and the last worker both received the same pay and the same blessings. And I just want you to know, everybody in here who repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ will receive the same eternal life of salvation blessings. If there is a drunk today who repents of his sins and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross for sinners, he will receive the same salvation blessings as the Apostle Peter. The thief on the cross will rejoice and is rejoicing in paradise the same way that the Apostle Paul is rejoicing in paradise. It is the, it's not like more salvation blessings of a enjoying the Lord forever. I'm not, once again, I'm not talking about issues of rewards because you know what? Those who get rewards get these crowns. What do they do with their crowns? They cast them at Jesus' feet. If you repent and you believe, you're enjoying the salvation blessing. It's all about God's grace. And you know what? Those, those workers that were hired first, they should just be happy. They got a full day's wage. They should be happy that they can rejoice they should just be happy with what they got. They, don't, they shouldn't care about other people. They should be happy. And the same goes with us. Why should we, in a sense, really care how blessed you are or not blessed you are? We should just praise God that we're blessed. A holy God accepts us through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you get that? 
What do we deserve? We deserve wrath and hell and judgment. But through faith in Christ, we get grace and peace and eternal life in a relationship with God. I can't believe it. God died for sinners. He, he, on the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took my punishment. He was buried and rose again. And I, I reconciled to God now. Are you kidding me? As the greatest news ever. Why would I ever, ever look at you and, and get angry or bitter or resentful of what God has given you and not given me? How dare I? I want my heart to be ruled by grace. Let me put up this image for you. Be captivated by grace where it's just like every day I'm like going, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Me? He wants me in a relationship with him? Every day I want to be ruled by grace where I can't believe it. And how can you tell if grace rules your heart? Well, let me show you an image of the fruit that comes out of a, a heart that's ruled by grace. It will marvel at God's generosity. Every day we should go, are you serious? You love me that way? And it will rejoice with others in their blessing. It's kind of like where I go, wow, God, I can't believe you love me. And I look at you and I go, you, you got it too? He loves you too? That's amazing. That's, that's great. Let's, let's rejoice together. And that's the way it should be in a heart ruled by grace. That's why Jesus tells this parable to guard your hearts. It's preventative. Watch out for this merit theology. And he finishes up. Verse 15, the story, look at it. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. <laughs> like the master, God has sovereign authority to do what he wants. And if he wants to bless the 11th hour hire just as much as the first hour hire, it's his prerogative to pour out as much grace as he wants to pour out on people and display his grace as much as he wants to display it. And he's not unfair. And so we got to watch out for this, this for that heart because God chooses to display unreasonable generosity. So I love it because it says this, how dare we ever begrudge his generosity. How dare we ever look at God and say, oh, why are you doing that? How dare we ever resent his generosity? How dare we ever look at our brothers and sisters and say, I can't believe you got that. What's God doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's really subtle because my, my guess is every person in here from time to time struggles with this. I was, just, I was just thinking about some students. Uh, I meet with students from time to time, and, and I love to see the students who are striving for purity and holiness in their life. But what's frustrating to a student who's striving for purity and holiness is when they see their other brother or sister in Christ who's not striving for purity or holiness in the same way, and they end up in a holy, godly relationship. And they're like, why didn't I get the godly relationship? Why did they get it? 
And the same thing can happen once you get married. You can say, why am I struggling so much to work on my marriage here? And, and why does the other couple don't seem to do anything and they're just flourishing? It, it'll happen with, with kids. Like, if you ever struggle to get pregnant? You're like, why can't we get pregnant? And, and people seem to be getting pregnant all around you. And, you. and you start to question God's generosity. Does he not love me? And, and the things that will happen financially. You're like, I, I tithe regularly to the Lord. I give money. I, I, I store it up in his kingdom, but I, I don't seem to be flourishing at all financially, and people around me seem to be flourishing. Do you see how this can happen? All, all over the place. Our hearts can be ruled by merit theology. Once again, let me put it out. This merit theology expresses itself in protesting God's generosity and resenting others. My brothers and sisters, if that is you, if you are protesting God's generosity, if you're resenting other people, there's no way you want to keep living like that. There's just no way. You are not a fun person to be around. I just want to tell you that. It's not fun to be around you. For those of you who are like this, I just kind of like when I say, I love you, but I'm going over here. Because I just don't want to, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to hear it from you. It's just a lot of griping and complaining and, and grumbling. It's like, I'm, I'm going over here. But I got to guard my own heart. Because I want grace to rule my heart. And what's the fruit of grace? Let me show you this last image. The fruit of grace is just worshiping worshiping and marveling at God's generosity and rejoicing with others. And if you struggle with this, this merit grace thing going on here, you got to keep reminding yourself that the good news is you are a recipient of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Keep coming back to the gospel. God loves you through Jesus. You don't deserve that. You deserve wrath and hell and judgment. You get grace, eternal life, favor, relationship with God forever. Keep coming back to the gospel. Let your heart be overflowing with grace. This past week, it was my time to turn 40. It was quite scary. I think I made it. I'm now over that official hill. Now, my wife threw me a surprise party that some of you were out, and I just want to tell you, I was just blown away, because I don't know if you get this, but I feel like, for real, I am an 11th hour hire. Like, I am an 11th hour hire. You do not understand what God has saved me from. It's unbelievable. And so I don't deserve a faithful wife. I don't deserve awesome children. I don't deserve a, a loving church. So when I, I was showed up there Friday night, I was just like, wow, I am totally and completely blown away. What, what an amazing amount of, of just undeserved, crazy love and generosity. And, I, and I, was, I was so blessed. But here's what the cool thing was. It, wasn't, it was a night where I could feel blessed, but the focus wasn't on me. So how in the world do you have a surprise party for you and the focus not be on you? Well, my wife pulled it off. She turned the night into a praise and worship night. So we had a worship band there, and all we did was praise Jesus and worship him. And I thought, that's it. That's what it's going to be like when we meet him face to face. We're going to meet him face to face. We're going to go, oh, Wow. Yes, been waiting for this my whole life. Unbelievable, unreasonable generosity, grace, and love. We're going to feel so special. And yet the focus is not going to be on us. And we're going to be together, and we're going to praise and worship the Lord 
for his grace, and we're going to do this forever. May our hearts be ruled by grace. Let's pray. Lord, you are so wonderful, and you are so gracious. It's like, humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. Like, we were in our sin, and while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. And now we're reconciled to you through faith. Through repentance and faith, we can know you, and your unreasonable generosity has just been spilled all over us. No matter where we feel like we were hired along the way. And so, Lord, I just ask right now that you bring repentance to those who are ruled by a merit heart, those who are jealous of others, resentful of their lot in life, bitter against you and others. I just ask that you would clear that away and show them the grace and the gospel of Jesus. And I just ask that you would make us all worshipers, worshipers that just can't believe it. Are you serious? You saved us. May we live that way. In Christ's name, amen.